So if you have your Bible, will you please open it to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. We have here a passage with two sections. One section, verses 5 through 11, has negative commands. Do not do these things or put these things to death is often the language here. The other section, verses 12 through 17, has positive commands. Instead, do this. Put on these behaviors like you put on your clothes for the day. Here's a question that I think helps open the passage for us. If both these sections represented a city or a community, which one would you rather be a part of? Think about what this hypothetical first place would be like. Uh, A place free of sexual boundaries. Full of all sorts of heated passions and wandering desires. Lots of people, you heard about covetousness as Donna read to us. Lots of people looking at what everyone else has and wanting it. A fair amount of anger. Cutting other people down. Backbiting and profane, dirty talk. And then there's also the lying. Uh, that, that is just a snapshot of this first community. Now, there's, then there's the second community, a, a place where people have compassionate hearts, kindness. They put up with each other, forgive each other's faults. Love is their governing behavior. They're full of gratitude. They often listen to teaching about how they're to behave. They're even humble enough to submit to teaching from one another and to keep each other in check through mutual warning. They also sing a lot together. Now, the differences between these hypothetical communities, they're clear enough. They can even sound a little bit like caricatures. You might ask why we can't have an in-between place. Can't we have a community with just a little sexual immorality? Just enough for some good television, right? (laughs) Just a little lying. And still the forgiveness and love, though. Now, part of the point of places like this in Scripture, and this isn't the only place like this, is that we are always, as human beings, living on a trajectory as a city, a community, individuals, we're always moving toward one version of a community or another. And the biblical and Christian view of the world is that despite the world's created goodness and beauty, it has been and it is, and it is still to a degree trapped in that first form of community. Gravity pulls in this direction. Towards that anger that can't be controlled. Toward sexual desires that can't be controlled. And as exciting as it is to live free of boundaries for a while. As good as it can feel to live a sexually boundless life. To let loose our anger. To cut someone down a little. A place that gravitates in this direction will inevitably at some point tear itself apart. It will rot from the inside and no one will survive. 
So how do you find your way out of this version of the world? How do you find your way into, out of the first type of community into the second kind of community? Where, gravi- where gravity pulls in a different direction, where the impulses are different, are good, are full of love and forgiveness. That's, what we want our, that's the kind of home we want to live in, isn't it? Where we know we're going to be forgiven for our faults. Truly, this is the kind of community that we desire. The kind of city we want to live in. So I think this passage is essentially a discernment map. How do I know how to act and how to speak? In my home, my church, my community, my workplace... We're hearing what it is we must and mustn't do to work toward this city, this community that we desire. So I want to draw out three questions that it presents, this passage presents, to help us when we're making decisions. Here's the first question. Does it, whatever behavior my behavior might be, does it fit with my new identity? Does it fit with my new identity? So Paul starts off this section by saying, put to death what is earthly in you. And then he keeps going, coming back again and again to this language of put off what's old, put on what's new. Verses 9 through 10 are a good example of this. So if you have your Bible, I hope you'll look at those verses. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is something that is fundamental to being a Christian. So whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, I I hope that you will listen to this. If you're a non-Christian, I hope that you will uh, at least look on Christians with this sense of understanding about what we believe has happened to us because of God in Christ. What he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. Christians fundamentally are a new creation of God. We are born again. We are completely refashioned. All of us, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, this is across the board. All of us enter the world under the moral and spiritual weakness of the human family. We're all together in this. It's no wonder that we feel lost, untethered in the world, even in our own bodies sometimes. But through baptism and faith in Jesus, our hollowed out inner core is filled with God's life-giving spirit. We are re-energized to live within the grain of the world and in obedience to the creator of the world. This is the way the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What this means is that there are now ways of behaving that look absolutely normative in the world, but are not congruent with who you are as God's new creation. You are being remade into the creator's image. You belong to the king. And so casual sex unbridled anger, slanderous, obscene talk, and deceiving others, these just do not fit with who you are anymore. Through the Spirit of Jesus, you can and you must stop acting in these ways. 
I find that a lot of people, myself included, non-Christians and Christians too, feel defeated by their sinful behaviors. It's as if the sinful inclination, the, the gravity, pulls too strongly in this direction. And so the, all you can do is surrender to them, to these inclinations. When you're young, you believe that you have to give in to it, but you're strong enough to where it won't completely defeat you. Uh, millennials in my generation, I, I find that we live by a jaded code of authenticity. Um, we give in to our sin, but in the name of being authentic. When you're older, you just feel beat up by it. Now, there is something to the notion of this lifelong struggle with sin. That, that's reality for all of us. But what we hear Paul tell Christians here is that you actually can do it. You can. Take your sin seriously. Continually put it to death because it does not fit with who you are anymore. It's no longer congruent. Now, it might be that with a long-term struggle, uh, God will call many of us to extreme measures of putting sin to death. Maybe it's going to talk to a counselor about relational issues that you struggled with, emotional dynamics that over and over again put you in this cycle of sin, of venting your anger in unhealthy ways. I have friends who, after battling a, a struggle on their own for a while, they sought help through AA, SA, and those were the things that it took for them to really deal with the lifelong struggles. A lot of us will have to take those kinds of extreme, extreme steps in our lives at various points. So here's a first question for, dis, for discerning. Does my behavior fit with my new identity? And I pose that question to you. Does your life right now fit with your new identity as a new creation in Christ? If you're not a Christian, know that you don't have to be completely undone by your sin. You can become a new creature in Christ. You can change. Does your behavior fit with your new identity? Now second, here's a second question for discernment. Does your behavior fit with Scripture? Does it fit with Scripture? So we're told this in verse 16. Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. So this phrase, the word of Christ, is of course, uh, includes all of Christ's words. So if you were to read the Gospels, everything that Jesus said as recorded there, it includes those things. But it's more broad than that, actually. Paul is talking about the word that points to Christ. We are to teach and admonish each other, warn each other within the body of Christ by pointing each other to Christ. To Jesus. But here's what's crucial here. Christ is the fulfillment and the embodiment of all of Scripture. So in verse 5, Paul lists some of the behaviors that we need to put to death in our lives. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now all of these are various forms of sexual sin in the Old Testament law. 
This is where they find their roots in the Old Testament law. This is where Paul is drawing from to say these things. Sexual immorality, when you see this in the Old Testament, New Testament especially, this is a catch-all term for any sexual behavior outside of a marriage between a husband and a wife. A lot of these prohibited acts that we hear in Colossians chapter 3 are laid out in Leviticus 18. So um, if the those, all of Leviticus 18 would have been read this morning, which would have been quite fun, wouldn't it? We love those passages about all those odd things that God is telling his people, don't do this. I know you're wondering why I have to say this, but I know why I have to say this. Don't do this. Paul is reapplying these things from the Old Testament here as still inappropriate behavior for people who are remade into God's image. Now, in the next list here in Colossians 3, Paul speaks to relational issues, anger, wrath, malice. And he wraps this section up with another commandment from the Old Testament. Do not lie to each other. Don't bear false witness. This is the Ten Commandments. Now, A lot of us have heard the common, uh, popular level way of dividing up the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, with the um, Old Testament being about law. The New Testament being this new revelation of God who, who is all about love and grace. That, that, that Old Testament is antiquated view of God. This is the new real revelation of God. But when you read passages like this in the New Testament, like Colossians chapter 3, that simple division just breaks down. It will not hold water. Christ's death for sin fulfilled the law on some level. His following of God, his obedience to the Old Testament law, fulfilled the law. But it fulfilled it so that we can now walk in the same way. So that we can obey Christ. So that we can be forgiven when we struggle to completely follow God. We can receive his mercy, but we can learn to draw nearer to God's way. Now the areas that Paul speaks to here are specifically our sex and speech. These are the two main areas, sex and speech. And the reason he chooses these, the reason the Bible over and over again chooses these, is because they're the two areas of our lives that are the most difficult to control. Most people through most of history have struggled with these things, sexual immorality and uncontrolled speech. And both of these, in their own way, will destroy you and your relationships if you give in to them. So this is why the Bible is so adamant about the, these things. This is why it attends to it so often. We must take these things with an equal seriousness. Some of us need to attend to sexual sin. Whether it is sex outside of marriage, pornography... Or its mental fantasies run amok. We just let our mind wander. Others of us need to attend to our speech, our anger. The things that we say to people when we are upset with them. The way that we argue. Our slander of others. Our obscene talk or our lying. And here's something we need to remember as we try to carry on this work in our lives of dealing with our sin. Especially sin that's related to sex and speech. It is easy to make ourselves feel better about these things because they are so normative in the world. 
But God's people have always been called to live out of joint with the world when it comes to these things. Not simply to be different, but to be faithful to God. So this is what God is saying in Leviticus chapter 18 that we heard from earlier. Don't do as they did in Egypt where you were and don't do as they're going to do in Canaan when you get there. In other words, wherever you go, it's going to be tough. You're always going to feel the heat. This is life as a follower of Jesus. Even in the best of times, God's people have always had to walk this careful, nuanced line of compassion, kindness, and moral firmness. So the first question of discernment is this. Does my behavior fit with my new identity? And the second is, does it fit with Scripture? All of Scripture, as Scripture points to Christ, the one who fulfilled Scripture for us and enables us to be able to walk in it more fully. Here's the last question. Does it fit with the community that God has made me a part of? Does my life, my behavior, fit with the community that God has made me a part of? So the Bible makes no room for an isolated humanity. People who choose to go at it alone. An off-the-grid Christianity. People who make decisions only in light of themselves. Perhaps maybe in light of a few of their immediate family members. The, The Bible doesn't allow for this. All Christian behavior is to be worked out within a group that is composed not only of blood family but instead a community to which individuals and families together are called to live out their devotion to Jesus and to represent his new kingdom way in the world. Now this is why all the yous in this section are plural throughout. It is within the community that we discern and discover our true humanity. In the process of learning compassion and kindness in a family, in a Christian family, by which I mean the church. We learn compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, and we find who we're made to be in Christ. Now, I think there is a part of this that we have to be careful with, though. For some, especially the naturally quieter types within a body of a group of people. So, Church of the Lamb, we have lots of people who just tend to be a little more quiet on the introvert side of the spectrum. And when it comes to qualities like meekness, it it can be easier for people who are a little bit quieter to think that means that they don't need to raise their voice and share their opinion about things. It can be easy for them to feel like their job is to disappear and let the community kind of take over things. But meekness does not mean that we are ever to rid ourselves of all our own thoughts and opinions. It never helps a community when any of us take meekness to mean that we disappear and withdraw our thoughts for the rest of the group. So what does all of this mean? This kind of unity that we dream of in a community. This idyllic idyllic community where everybody gets along. How do we deal with each other when we have differences? Well, I think this is part of it. It means we don't use our differences to thwart the community. 
We won't force our differences on the community, demand that the community be shaped into our image. Because that would go against the love which is meant to bind everything together. Instead, there are times when we are to submit ourselves to the community in spite of our differences with it. So when we're committed to a body of Christ, this becomes a question for us in our decisions. Does what I'm going to do, thinking about, what what I'm thinking about, does it fit within the community where God has placed me? Now as we're drawing to a close here, verse 13 tells us this. That if anyone has a complaint against each other, you should forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Don't we love this verse? Don't we want to use it on somebody when they're unwilling to forgive us? Hey, remember this verse that says that you should forgive me as God's forgiven you. It's a beautiful verse. It's so hopeful. At the moments where my heart is the hardest, this is one of those that comes to mind and is able, able to soften it. Here's what's even more powerful to me here. The word forgive is actually the word for grace. So in other words, here's how it could read. Be gracious to each other as the Lord has been gracious to you. Now that makes a difference. Because the truth is that someone doesn't have to actually sin against me for me to be angry at them. It could just be that they've got a quirk I really don't like. Or an opinion I really don't like. And it's not sinful. In marriage, we discover this all the time, don't we? There's not always a sin that we need to forgive. But what we're actually asked to do is not merely to forgive, but to be gracious to each other in all the things in which we would like to complain. This is much more broad, and it's possibly even more difficult than forgiveness. So three questions of discernment from Colossians 3. Does my behavior fit with who I am in Christ? My new identity. Does it fit with Scripture? All of Scripture that points to Christ. And does it fit with the community? Now, these three questions help us answer an ultimate and summary question. You see, verse 17 is a summary of verses 5 through 16. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. If the answer to the question of, does my behavior fit with the community that God's made me part of? If the answer to that question is no, then it's going to be very hard for you to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through Him. If it doesn't fit with Scripture, then you cannot do it in the name of Jesus, and you can't give thanks to the Father through Him. And if it doesn't fit with your identity in Christ, then you cannot do it in the name of Jesus. So where are you in all of this? Are you living according to who you are in Christ? Are you submitting to the word of Christ and scripture? And are you living for the good of this community that God's made you part of? Submitting yourself to it and finding your life and your home within this home of love that God is building here. You know, I am 
very grateful for Church of the Incarnation and Church of the Lamb because I find that despite their faults, our communities have faults. But despite them, God's love is present here. And it's as if when I come into this place and into the body at Church of the Lamb, the the gravity somehow pulls me in a different direction. And even though the inclinations of my heart might sometimes be towards anger and uh, no bounds in uh, my desires, when I come into these places, the gravity starts to pull me otherwise. My inclinations grow better, my impulses. And so I'm thankful for these places of love that God is building to shape us and to shape the communities in which he's planting us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.